Welcome to another episode of the DBR Spotlight Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Evan, and here at Compass, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything that we do here at Compass, everything we do is to fulfill that mission to reach, teach, and train. Well, Compass, we are going to finish the Gospel of John this week and actually begin the book of Acts, as I like to call it on the podcast, the Gospel of Acts, but it's really just called the book of Acts. But this week, we are going to cover John chapter 18, 19, 20, and 21, and we will conclude John's book. And so I hope, is God's you know, hope, and my prayer, and, your, and you know, my prayer for you, is that we would come to the end of John and believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing in him, that we would have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so let's pull up our Bibles. Here I got my Gospel of John right here, and I got chapter 18 ready. So let's let's dive in, Compass. We have a lot to cover, and not a, lot, a whole lot of time to cover it. So we just concluded... Jesus' high priestly prayer. He is with his disciples and now begins the betrayal, the death, and the hope of the resurrection. So in chapter 18, we have the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. It mentions that he went to a garden. This is the Garden of Gethsemane that is mentioned in the four other Gospels. And we have a note there in chapter, uh, verse 2 that Jesus often met there with his disciples. So this is a common place. And this is why it makes sense that Judas knew where to go to betray him. And so we have here in the following verses, you know, Judas and the, of, uh, the officers from the chief priests and Pharisees came with torches and weapons. Here's a man who is not armed, and they're coming armed because they fear him, because they saw, they heard about the seven wonders that he did, and heard about the seven statements. So they thought, who is this person? They had great fear. They actually drew back, and they said, when they answered, hey, are you Jesus of Nazareth? Look at verse, uh, verse 6. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. These people were afraid of Jesus. But yet Jesus still allowed them to take him to fulfill God's plan. And this is actually going to see a theme through the rest of the, uh, this scene all the way through Jesus' death and even through the resurrection. John is going to say to fulfill the scriptures, to the fulfill the scriptures. So let's pay attention to see where John points that out. All right. So he lets them take them. And then he faces Annas and Caiaphas. And so Caiaphas, uh, we have, is the, uh, who is the high priest. And Annas is his father-in-law. And so Annas is really in power. Caiaphas might be the high priest. But essentially, Jesus is taken to the Jewish authority. We're going to see two authorities represented here at the betrayal of Jesus. We have the Jewish representation with Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest and the one who's really in charge. And then eventually, we're going to see Pilate. So he's brought before uh, Annas and Caiaphas. And it's a whole lot shorter scene that we see in the other Gospels because 
John's going to focus a lot on Peter and Pilate. And hence, in verses 15 to 18, we see this account of Jesus, or Peter denying Jesus, but part one. So it's going to go back and forth for the rest of John. So we have verses 15 to 18. The first time, the, the first um, couple times, Peter denies Jesus. Then he goes back to the scene, cuts to the scene where Jesus is being interrogated by the high priest. And then it cuts back again to Peter denying Jesus again for the third time. And so we kind of see the scene playing out here. So then we see that Peter denied it and then at once the rooster crowed just as Jesus predicted. And Peter is devastated. And as we see in the other accounts, he runs, which we have to put a pin in that because Peter's going to be brought back in the very end. But now we shift gears from the Jewish authorities to the Gentile authorities, to the, to the Romans who rule over Israel at this time. See, the Jewish leaders would have killed Jesus by now, but they weren't legally allowed to do it. They wanted Rome to do it because Rome only had only the jurisdiction to uh, execute people for crime. So they bring him before Pilate, and this is such a bizarre scene. I, I, I get tempted sometimes to pity Pilate or sympathize with Pilate and kind of understand Pilate. But we have to understand this. Pilate is a wretched sinner. Here he has an innocent man before him, as we are going to read. And instead of uh, letting an innocent man go, he doesn't just beat him. He crucifies him. And so he, we'll talk about this in just a moment, he feared man more than God. But the bizarreness of the scene is that Pilate's going, what is going on? You are clearly innocent, but he still lacked the love for God that he desperately needed. So verses 28 to 32 of John 18, we see Jesus the first time before he's uh, before Pilate. But verse 32, this whole conversation was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he's going to die. And so everything, again, is pointing to Jesus fulfilling. Jesus fulfilling. This is how much God loved us. This is how much Jesus loved us. That even though he knew what he was about to go through, he was saying, I'm going to submit to the will of the Father to rescue sinners like you and me to be redeemed and believe in him and have eternal life through him. And he talks about the kingdom that Christians are a part of because he's the ruler of a kingdom that's not part of this earth. He has a perfect kingdom. He has a perfectly heavenly kingdom. And he's going to bring a perfect earthly kingdom at his return. Hence why in verses 36 to uh, verses 36, just in general, he talks to Pilate saying, my kingdom's not of this world. So he's otherworldly. And Pilate's just dumbfounded. He's in awe. So... He's like, I, I, I don't get this. So I'm going to have him flogged. And that's actually we start for chapter 19. Pilate then took Jesus and flogged him. And, and his soldiers twisted uh, thorns together to make a crown. So Jesus beat an innocent person. And then really this is what this to show is it's not that just the Jewish people are guilty of rejecting the Messiah. Even the Gentiles are rejecting their Savior before their eyes. But yet, even though he's beat, flogged, and just, and just ripped apart, the Jews, the chief priests in particular, and the officers wanted him killed anyway. They're saying, crucify him, crucify him. So they just wanted an innocent man dead. Why? Because they wanted their power. They wanted their place. And so Pilate tries to make an agreement with them, but they say reject it. 
And so then Pilate goes to Jesus, like, they want you dead. I can, I can let you go. Are you really this person? Are you really the, the king of the Jews? And so he kind of challenges Jesus in here in verse 10 through 11. When Paul, Paul, Pilate says, you know, hey, you won't speak to me? Jesus is being silent right now. He says, won't you speak to me? Do you not, not, have, do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have the authority to crucify you? So Pilate's starting to flex his muscles at Jesus. Say, do you know who I am? I'm kind of important. And then Jesus puts him in, in his place. Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So Pilate's sinning. The Jewish people have a greater sin for rejecting the Messiah. And he's saying, you don't try to flex on me. You have power because it's been given to you by my Father. I'm doing this to fulfill Scripture, to save your soul from your sins. So, in the end, Pilate, in verse 16, delivered him over to the chief priest to be crucified. So, verses 17 on, we have the crucifixion scene. But you're going to see this a couple times where this is to fulfill the scripture. This is to fulfill the scripture. Look at, look at verse 24 with me right here. So when they're crucifying Jesus, the soldiers were you know tearing and dividing his garments. And Paul writes that detail and helps the reader understand you and I. Say, hey, this is to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Written in the Old Testament hundreds of years ago. And this prophecy was actually a reason why one of my good friends got saved. He was once an atheist, in his, in his own proclamation, an angry atheist. And he said... When he saw this prophecy fulfilled, the, pro- the probability that clothing being divided actually was predicted and actually happened at the crucifixion by Gentiles who had no idea about the Old Testament said, this book right here, the scripture, has to be something special. And actually, God used that. Actually, as he's gonna, we're talking about in John chapter 20 in just a moment, he actually saw the evidence and believed and now is a Christian. And that's the whole purpose of why John's writing this detail, to show the evidence that Jesus is God, Jesus is the Christ, and that believing in him, we'll have eternal life. And so we see another fulfillment of scripture when in verse 28, knowing that all has been finished to fulfill scripture. So so Jesus is dying and suffering to fulfill scripture, to be the payment. And so Jesus said, it is finished. And so those are the last words accounted for by John. But we know the other gospels have other phrases that Jesus, the, the, the last words they record Jesus said. Now, they're not saying, they're not contradicting, contradicting one another. Each author is emphasizing something a little different. And so on verses 31 to 37, we see why Jesus' body wasn't broken. Why? Well, you better believe it, because it, the scriptures might be fulfilled. Exodus 12, 46, Numbers 9, 12, and Zechariah 12, 10, all were fulfilled by Jesus not being having his bones broken. He was like the perfect lamb, talk, talking about Exodus 12 and Numbers 9, uh, the perfect lamb for Passover that had no blemishes, no broken bones. He's a perfect sacrifice, and hence why God uh, withheld the Romans from breaking Jesus' bones so that he can fulfill Scripture to show, without a doubt, this is the Lamb of God. So, 
after scriptures have been fulfilled, Jesus, he, he's dead. Now his body um, is now being taken down from the cross. Now, in verse 38, we get uh, introduced to two people. We actually get in, reintroduced to one person from the Gospel of John and then someone that had the other Gospels have mentioned. We see this person named Joseph of Arimathea who was a disciple of Jesus, but seek, but secretly for the fear of the Jews. But this is what happened. After the death of Jesus, Joseph became bold. Instead of fearing, he boldly went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. He's making a stance, saying, I ally with Jesus. But look at verse 39. Look who's back, Nicodemus, the person who wasn't sure if Jesus was the Christ. Now he's back, and he's honoring Jesus by you know, bringing mixture of myrrh and aloes, uh, aloes you know, 70 pa- 75 pounds of in weight. That's a lot of perfume to honor Jesus's death. So here's two men who were hiding in secret. Nicodemus, if you remember in John chapter three, came in secret in the night. Joseph is a secret disciple. Both are now publicly just declaring their allegiance to Christ, just as you and I need to. And this is at without the resurrection yet. Now we have the resurrection. We should be all more, all the more bold. And now, Compass, we get to something kind of crazy. Chapter 20 is not only kind of the conclusion of the book of John. It's almost the conclusion, not of the Bible. We have the revelation for that. But John is coming full circle. So, John chapter 1. What is John alluding to? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word became flesh. But the Word created everything. Now, John in chapter 1 was referring to creation. And now John chapter 20 is also talking about creation, how life was given to us through uh, through God, the Word, how all things were created in Him. So John chapter 1 is an, an exit, uh, no, a Genesis-type language. Now we have Genesis-type language all through the chapter 20. So what, let's, let's walk through it together. Verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Now, right away, the first day, this is important. All seven days are completed. The seven days of this old life are completed. Now it's the first day. It's a new day. So this is a new creation that's happening. It's the eighth day. Really, it's day one, though. So it's a new creation that's about to be explained. And so Mary Magdalene and the, and the women go to the tomb. They tell Peter. And then we see John writing in scripture that he outran Peter. So forever we know that John is faster than Peter. And we see how John believed. But I need you to skip down to verses 11 to 18. Specifically look at verses 15. This is where Jesus or Mary sees Jesus for the first time resurrected. In verse 15, Jesus says to her, Mary, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Now, the phrase you need to underline is supposing him to be a gardener. Now, I'm not trying to pull strings here because I'm going to explain it. It's going to be proven further. But what John is trying to allude to with that little detail. Even though Mary thought he was a gardener, John is saying, who else was a gardener in a garden at creation? Adam. So it's a new day. 
talking about what? A new Adam. So we have new day, first day of the week, a new Adam, a gardener, and now we get to talk about some more of creation. So what happened at creation? Adam and Eve sinned. They have now division. They're at enmity with God. They are now enemies of God. God casting them out in their presence. There is no more peace with God anymore. And, and the rest of the Bible is how does man have peace with God? What's well, through God and it's specifically through Jesus Christ. Well, what is Jesus' first greeting in verse 19? He appears to the disciples and says, peace be with you. And he actually says this several times. Peace be with you later in verses 21. And again, in, in verses 26, he says, peace be with you. Notice the threes. He said, peace be with you three times. Just to emphasize that the barrier between us and God, we are no longer enemies of God. Now we are children of God. Now we have right relationship with God. Now we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So we have a new creation. We have a new Adam. The, uh, the division and the enmity is now destroyed through Jesus. Now we have peace with God and it gets better. So he talks with the disciples, says, peace be with you. And in verse 22, and so he, he said this, you know, peace be with you. The Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, Pastor Evan, what does this have to do with creation? Well, what did God do with Adam after he created them? He breathed in them. He gave them the breath of life. So what happened? We have a new, a new day a new creation, a new Adam, new peace, and new life all through who? Jesus Christ. And guess what? We're not done. In verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And so what this is, is this is this is John's great commission right here. How is how how do the disciples how do they give forgiveness? By proclaiming the forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So at creation, what was the Adam's purpose and Eve's purpose? Be fruitful and multiply. Now, Jesus is essentially saying that in his commission in John to forgive sins. But if people reject the gospel, their sins will not be forgiven. So that's what that, that verse means right there. Saying if you proclaim the gospel and people receive it, you can tell them your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. But if you proclaim the gospel and they reject the gospel, you with confidence can say your sins are not forgiven. Just essentially showing the great commission of God's image being proclaimed throughout the world through the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. So then we have the account with Doubting Thomas who then worships God, but then we land in chapter 20 on the last two verses, something we've been talking about the entire time in the Gospel of John, verses 30 to 31. This is something you should bracket, you should underline, you should highlight, you should tell people, this is why you need to read the Gospel of John right here. Because John writes these things so that you and I, the readers, may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one who covers our sins, the great I am. And by believing, by turning from ourselves, repenting from our sins, turning from trusting in ourselves and trusting in Jesus' righteousness alone, believing in him, we will have life in his name. We will have eternal life in his name 
name. And then we end the Gospel of John with this prologue in chapter 21. Remember how I said we're not done with Peter? Remember the last time we kind of we saw Peter running, but he, was, he didn't have a reconciled relationship with Jesus. He has peace with, with God now. He said, peace be with you. But now we have this intimate dialogue between Peter and Jesus. So in chapter 21, this is the scene where G, uh, the Peter and his friends were fishing. Jesus calls out. They get a huge cast of fish. Uh, Peter realizes who it is, and he jumps in and leaves his friends behind. I'm just kidding. No, he does leave his friends behind, and they get all the fish. But he sees Jesus again. So this is where we have in verses 15 all the way to 19, where Jesus essentially restores Peter. Now, he has peace with Peter. Now, he restores Peter's mission. Because remember, Peter is a little braggadocious. He's saying, back before Jesus was betrayed, he said, I will die for you. And when he was tempted, he denied Jesus three times. He betrayed Jesus three different times. And so here's Jesus saying, do you love me three different times? And each time he says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, uh, feed my sheep. So what Jesus is giving Peter is back his mission, saying, you are restored back to my mission to feed and tend my sheep. Now, this isn't Peter's sheep. These are, these are Jesus' sheep. But Jesus is restoring those who betrayed him. He's restoring them back through him. And then he uh, talks about the death that he will die to glorify God. And so he says, follow me. He says, even though I want you to tend my sheep, this is a great calling. Peter, you're going to die a hard death. Follow me. And Peter does. Without saying a few more words, because that would be, wouldn't be Peter. So verses 20 to 23, we have these final final verses where Peter's looking at John, saying, well, what about him? Like, I'm going to die a death. Well, what about him? And Jesus is like, my plan for him has nothing to do with you. You just follow me. And this is where we learn that you know, John was going to be exiled as he signs off in just a moment. So for us, the lesson here for Peter's example is for us to follow Christ with regardless of the coming consequences. And then finally, the last two verses, verses 24 and 25 of John, essentially it's John's signature. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, who, is, who has written these things that we know his testimony is true. He's saying, believe me, test my test this evidence know that this is true and if this is true you need to believe in Jesus Christ now he mentions many of the signs and things that Jesus did that are written in other books most likely a reference to gospel Matthew Mark and Luke but and he says talks about they, they can be contained in all the books and so this is John's signature to show hey I'm a eyewitness and you need to believe in me so compass my prayer is that you believe that Jesus is the Christ after studying the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Matthew so that you can have eternal life in Jesus and that you and I would go out to a watching world to, to proclaim the Gospel of the, of the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. So it's my prayer that we would be bold to proclaim like Nicodemus, like Joseph and Mary of Mathia, to say, I ally with Jesus, do you. So Compass, next time we will, be getting, uh, we will begin the book of Acts. And I cannot wait to see you next time in the DBR Spotlight Podcast.